The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. And I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So today we have a super fun episode. Something that we've been like wanting to do for a really long time. Sarah, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about boy bands and most importantly, if boy bands exist to exploit young teen girls. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you took a really fun topic and made it sound sinister. (laughs) I mean, it it is. It is kind of sinister, but also really fun and exciting because boy bands are really important to pop culture and the music industry and all these things. But there is the dark side to it which makes this more exciting but because this conversation is super important and really nuanced we decided to have on the expert of all things boy band maria sherman who wrote this incredible book called larger than life a history of boy bands from new kids on the block to bts and it is a beautiful book and so well done. And Jenna's going to tell you a bit more about Maria's experience. Yeah. Maria Sherman is a music writer and culture critic currently living in Brooklyn, New York. She has worked as a senior writer at Jezebel, managing editor at Gizmodo Media Group, senior correspondent at Fuse TV, coordinator at BuzzFeed Music. You may have seen her work on NPR, Billboard, Spin, Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, and other quality publications. If she were in a boy band, she'd be the bad boy. And also Harry Styles ruined her life. So very fitting for this episode. We're very excited about this one. We had such a riveting conversation about all things boy band. (laughs) And I'm just really excited for everybody to listen. But before we get into it, we just wanted to remind you guys, if you like what you hear and you want to support us, you can leave us a little tip over on patreon.com slash name three songs, where we have lots of other goodies for you guys. And also leaving us a review really helps. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can go find us over there, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. So without further ado, so Maria, thank you so much for being with us today. And I would love for you to share your favorite, most random boy band fact. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I have a favorite fact from when I was reporting the book, and that is that when New Kids on the Block first got their start, they actually performed in prisons, which is like the last place you would ever expect to see a boy band. Yeah. And didn't win over the crowd until they threw out cigarettes, which I think is like the most like hard, badass like boy band thing to ever happen. And the sort of folklore is one of the first prisons they played at, Donnie Wahlberg's brother was incarcerated there at the time. And I'm like, what? who has this like in? Like, get me on the list at the prison i don't know it's nuts yeah so they're like these young boys who are like doing their weird r&b covers it's it's hysterical i would like where is that footage where is that footage that is an incredible random fact I think it's funny because I try to think of like any other boy band being in that situation and it just makes me like really sad for like I don't know I get like god like baby Jonas Brothers when they're so kind of a pop punk band like performing in a prison come on it's like so funny <laughs> they would not they could not they just could not they could they not. gotta learn their stage presence somehow yeah there you go <laughs> yeah prisoners I mean... teen girls similar <laughs> similar audience vibes I mean same probably around the same sort of heckling because yeah. you know <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's a good theory. That's a good theory. Oh, wow. I think about it all the time. Like I've had dreams about it because I'm like, I need to see this footage. Prisons have cameras, right? Where is it? Okay, so obviously like boy bands have a much longer origin story to what most of our listeners probably know about, which is like Backstreet era onward. But so the boy band practice wasn't always something that was sort of created in the lab for what we're calling like the consumption of teen girls. It started with something else. So for our listeners who might not know so much about that, can you just give us like a brief origin story of the boy band for uh, them to know a bit more about this? 
Yeah, totally. I think it's actually two histories that kind of exist next to each other. Because mm -hmm. I think the defining feature of a boy band is the boy band fangirl. We know what the audience looks like. We're kind of, we've heard about Beatle Maniacs for a while. You know what a boy band concert looks like based on who's in the crowd. The other history is actual male vocal groups. When did boys start coming together, wearing uniform looks and singing songs specifically that were secular? So they're not about God, because I think that's a whole nother friggin' ball game. Like boy bands <laughs> sing about love. They don't sing about God. But but that kind of tradition starts in like the 1930s where you have barbershop quartets. These are kind of like white nerds wearing, <laughs> wearing the little hat. After World War II, it becomes doo-wop. That's black teenagers who were kind of sick of the barbershop thing, wanted to make it cool, did so successfully as black youth have historically done in, in creating all of popular music, essentially. Yes. And then eventually in the 50s, you get a group like Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. And that's a group of, of young black boys singing together. They're dancing. They have distinct personalities as opposed to like the boy band tropes of like bad boy heartthrob. It's more like you have your baritone falsetto. The roles are still defined by skill set. In the late 50s, you get this guy named Barry Gordy out of Detroit, and he founds Motown Records. And Motown is how we get the Jackson 5, which is, of course, the boy band that created Michael Jackson. And he's doing other groups. He's doing The Temptations. He's doing The Four Tops. Even if you don't know these groups, you certainly know Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch, and My Girl. And then in the 1960s, you get The Beatles. And The Beatles are interesting because they are a group that created themselves. They're playing their own instruments. They're writing their own songs. But they elicit this like huge young woman fandom. And that's kind of the reason they have that success is they have this very like massive loyal listenership. You've seen the videos of girls like hysterically crying as, as they land in New York for the first time. And that's kind of where boy band fangirls start to get a name. We call them Beatle Maniacs because they are manic. I used air quotes, even though this is a podcast, <laughs> essentially pathologizing young woman experience. And that becomes also kind of foundational in the boy band story. So in the 50s, 60s, we, we have these black boy bands at Motown. We have the Beatles. In 1970, the Beatles break up. Black boy bands at Motown kind of do their own thing. It fractures a little bit. And you get to the late 70s in Puerto Rico, this group called Menudo, which is where mm -hmm. we get Ricky Martin which I think is very important and kind of gets written out of the story. And that boy band is interesting because they tried to do what Motown did, which was essentially creating groups by forcing talents together, seeing who was the best and kind of churning out all these hits. That's where we get the idea of like a boy band being created in a factory system. And Menudo did that, but they kind the boy band for whatever reason existed for 30 years because once a boy became 16, he was kicked out of the group. So there would be this perpetually replenishing boy band, which is so nuts to think about. Cause like, imagine if someone replaced Harry Styles, I would never recover, you know? People would riot. Yeah, there, it would, it would, it would never fly in yeah. 2020. So Menudo like forms in 1977, which is funny cause that's the year punk broke. So I'm always like, that's the year boy bands broke. And around the same time in Boston, you have this local producer named Maurice Starr. He throws talent shows, tries to see what's going on in his neighborhood. And he's a record producer. He wants to make stars. And he throws this talent show where New Edition, what I kind of consider to be the first modern boy band where we, we really see this sort of trope kind of build and go onward to like the Backstreet Boys or whatever. They're black boys from Roxbury. They, they live in the projects. They perform Motown covers just to make extra money to support their families. They're called New Edition because they're supposed to be the new edition of the Jackson Five. So that gives mm. you a sense of the kind of like super sugary bubblegum pop that they were performing. They come in second place at one of Marie Star's talent shows. And he's like, I want to work with them. They do pop songs. I want to do a pop group. I don't want to do a hip hop group, which was of course also happening at the same time in Boston and mm -hmm. in like the late 70s, early 80s. And they work together and he takes them on tour and they're pretty young. They're like 13 and up. They're like babies at this mm -hmm. point. And when they come back from tour, they open up sort of famously checks for $1.67. And they're like, how did that happen? We just toured for a million months why are we still poor? And the sort of rumor of it all, and, and some of this has been, you know, confirmed, is that they signed some shoddy deals with Murray Starr. He was exploiting them for more money. Eventually they cut ties with him and he says, okay, well, I was able to create something of a success story. They were getting like number one on the black billboard charts because it was still called black charts and now it's like urban or whatever. Maybe they've changed it. I don't know. It's just, it's so hard to think that this is how the world worked for so long that there yeah. was like black music and then mainstream music, which I'm like, mm -hmm. hmm, I wonder what mainstream's supposed to be. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he decides, I want to do what I just did with New Edition, but I'm going to do it with white boys because white boys can get bigger play. They can blow up. Younger people will be interested in this music, etc. And two weeks after New Edition kind of cuts ties with him, he creates New Kids on the Block. They're kind of the first of like what we view boy bands to be sort of traditionally, mm-hmm. which is five white boys who dance together, sing together, wear coordinated outfits. They're performing R&B pop, so they're performing kind of black music as, as a white boy band. And then they blow up. They get played on, on the sort of mainstream, which we know to be white radio. Teen girls lose their crap. And then the rest is sort of history. Then their face is, is on like pillowcases and buttons and they have a line at JCPenney, RIP. Does JCPenney exist still? Who knows? They're all <laughs> over it. They're like all over the mall. And it's like, okay, this is this is the, the sort of nucleus of like what will become the boy band story. I should also say they made a lot of sense timing wise because music at the time was like poison. It was like hair metal. And then like Madonna and Paula Abdul, there was no boy band in that space. And that's really also at the heart of the boy band stories. Like the timing has to make sense there has to be some hunger for them and there has to be sort of nothing comparable there's no like Justin Bieber happening at the same time right there's no Mm -hmm. like young boy performer that's going to appeal to that young girl audience so at some point in the height of New Kids on the Block there's this guy named Lou Pearlman from New York he moves down to Florida he's made his money in private jets and blimps but it's also sort of allegedly (laughs) allegedly also allegedly Yeah, um, but what's nuts about him is he didn't actually have any aircraft. He lied about it until like billionaire investors started to give him money and then he could buy aircraft, which is just like, how do do you do that? This is also, I guess, pre-internet, so maybe you can get away with lying easier. There's like this image in, and basically anything you'll ever read about Lou Perlman where they talk about how he bought toy airplanes and took pictures of them. And because this is the analog days, people fell for it and they were like, oh, that must be his airplane not knowing that it's a little freaking toy. I mean, they uh, had the photos in the boy band con doc yeah. and they, oh, look, yeah. they look legit. Like yeah. I was like, this man missed a career in photography where he could have <laughs> made actual money in this era. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just nuts but you know people eventually do fall for it he gets a blimp and he grows his money that way it's really absurd at one point he gets a blimp that is like dilapidated and it crashes of course because it's like if there's one thing you want to make sure is good quality it's aircraft when you purchase it I would think but then when it like explodes he gets all this insurance money and then that's how he becomes a millionaire and gets to actually do his private jet blimp life I just like can't wrap my head around the fact that nobody caught up with him by the time he decided to become a boy band record mogul like he'd done so many cons and then was just like hey time to start a record label yeah it's it's absurd and I I feel like maybe people do Ponzi schemes all the time but I I don't think this long con would have worked I think you'd have to do like more insurance fraud that isn't blips exploding but essentially I I bring up Lou Pearlman because eventually when he does get these private jets he leases one to new kids on the block and he meets yeah and he meets them and he's like who are these young baby boys? What's going on? And manager says, why? This is new kids on the block. And he tells them that they make like bajillions of dollars, both in touring in record sales and in merchandise. And Perlman is like, what? That seems like such a good con for me to get into. Money. Yeah, it seems like easy money for him, or at least fast money, right? Because boy bands don't last very long, but when they mm-hmm. do, they kind of explode if they actually you know, do the dang thing. So he puts out an ad in the Orlando Centennial, and he's like, I'm looking for boys aged 16 to 18 to start a new group. And then the first person to respond is AJ McLean's mom. And then from there, the Backstreet Boys are formed. Most of them are working at Walt Disney World. Some of them might be working at Universal Studios. I forget all of their positions because they're really sort of hysterical. And it's interesting because this era of the sort of like, I call it the golden age of boy bands, which is like the Y2K era with Backstreet Boys yeah. and NSYNC. Because I think that's what people kind of think of if you say boy band. Yeah. A lot of the time the image is that it took place in Orlando because I think if it were to take place in New York or Hollywood, it would be young kids whose parents maybe have a little bit more industry know-how. There's something that feels like almost inherently exploitative to go to these kids who are like, I want to make it in this business, but I'm going to go to Disney because those are typically at the time like working class kids who want to get on the Mickey Mouse Club. And there's something like they're almost like more vulnerable because of that lack of industry know-how. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it sort of seems like is especially from like the in sync side of things with like 
like Justin Timberlake sort of mom being like you're cute and talented you're gonna be a pageant kid and like those sort of things where it's like they're taking those routes that quintessentially like southern moms with like talented kids are like I'm gonna not exploit my kid but maybe exploit my kid (laughs) totally yeah yeah and it's it's interesting because I think also like most boy bands don't ever come from like a New York or LA they kind of all either like I mean Boston's a big city but it's not like an entertainment hub Orlando's Mm -hmm. like a big place but it's not an entertainment hub unless you're doing the like Disney World thing but that's not like a lucrative sustainable career you can only do so many doo-wop covers (laughs) in front of a diner you know yeah I've I've always found that interesting because it feels like specifically exploitative and now that I'm thinking about it I I wonder if like part of the attraction too is that Florida has more lax like laws It, it can get pretty shady legally and I wonder if that's why Lou Perlman decided to leave New York where I think some of his stuff could have caught up with him and then go to Florida. And then I guess it's also cheaper to have an airplane hangar in Florida and train your boy bands in it. All of the above. Yeah. All the boxes. It's so insane because, I mean, it feels like every era of boy band had a shady figure sort of watching over (laughs) in one way or another, whether they're like legitimately like go to jail shady or just kind of like fans speculate leaving shady I feel like it's just like a constant thing but I guess the big question of this is is do you personally think that these men were like okay like teen girls are are easier to exploit than other people in the past or do you think that that never even crossed their mind and they just saw dollar signs rather than the fact that it was teen girls because I feel like in a way the boy band (laughs) like machine was in in a way sexist because they just kind of like viewed these girls as like money pockets and we're like okay we're gonna just give them things that they love we're not gonna care so much if this works out or not we're just gonna keep giving them things to get their money and hope for the best yeah I think it's primarily the latter because I think that like the way that these figure adds the sort of like impresario behind the scenes thought of these boy bands was just devices to make money I don't think there's so much interest in what they're saying in their songs or anything that would was kind of like at the heart of art appreciation I guess mm-hmm. I mean they do ensure that the boy bands are like training a bajillion hours a day so their choreography is on point and the actual performances of quality but I yeah I don't think that there's a lot of interest or investment in like what teen girls feel unless it's good and and willing to spend money which is and, you know and, and on like a flip side it makes me think that teen girl fans especially ones who are like diehard about their boy band are kind of some of the smartest fans because they're forced to interrogate where they're like more ethical lines are because I mean I like all pop music I don't know who these like shady figureheads are behind some of my favorite pop stars but mm-hmm. I do with boy bands so I have to make the decision and like kind of navigate that cognitive dissonance of like am I going to continue to love this thing or is, is it problematic for me to do so because these people are exploiting the groups and also by extension as you said the teen girl fans and I don't know what the answer is and it's something I kind of have to like deal with every day as I think any pop fan should or like consider the industry and the machine that's created this thing that we love so much it's really sticky yeah it's 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 not it's not great yeah i think that point is particularly like prominent with k-pop today Mm. of just knowing that there's so much of a corporate side behind it and that Mm. they're kind of churning these acts out like workhorses and the thing that like brings young teen girls so much joy but also like there's the dark side of it yeah it's all over the place and i I do it's interesting because i like obviously that's prevalent in k-pop but i think nowadays it seems like something all music fans if you like any sort of major label person has to interrogate a little bit more because i even think of like um maybe i'm drawing too many comparisons too far away but the like Billie Eilish documentary that just came out on Apple TV there's this point where um like the record execs are like sitting in her brother's bedroom where they've written all these songs and are basically just like we need a hit now kid and it's it's interesting to like see that I mean they're again not a 1920s like <laughs> like villain but that's my voice for <laughs> for for most men in the music industry it, there's there's that pressure on her it feels kind of gross but that's like how the machine works essentially and yeah there's so many thoughts like uh it it, it really does bother me but it's also like I love this music so it's like am I gonna forfeit this thing that I love so much probably not am I going to continue to express and talk through some of these things that are shady and and unfortunate yeah because you have to if you're gonna be like a ethical consumer of of popular music I'll also say it's interesting that when you Sarah mentioned that the the sort of the boy band machine is sexist because I think it's it's sexist in like layered ways there's like nuance to the sex 
sexism? Because like uh, when, whenever I write about boy bands, I realize that a lot of the language used to describe them is sexist in the way that like women pop stars are often written about. They're often mm -hmm. placed in this space where they're supposed to be virginal, but they're supposed to awaken some sort of like sexuality in, in young people. And it's like, well, like, ain't that Britney Spears' whole like career? You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. really bonkers because I can't think of another instance where men are treated that way and mm -hmm. it's not like i'm gonna sympathize with them over women but it is interesting that it's like the sexism that runs so deep towards the interests of young women also affects these young men who are performing that interest yeah well and i think it's primarily because this is music that is catering towards teen girls so it's just the same thing of like a lot of people in the media are so quick to sort of distance themselves or bash on anything that teen girls consume a lot of or love wholeheartedly or whatever just because they're like girls aren't allowed to have hobbies we're not allowed to be passionate about things without somebody making fun of us and so I guess in a way they're at least from my perspective when they talk about that and in that light it's kind of like okay maybe we can get these men to stop doing this if we talk about them like they're women because nobody wants to be talked about like they're women but I mean also and you mentioned this in your book is that when the Backstreet Boys first really broke into America their first music video is that like sexy one with the rain where <laughs> <laughs> I think like Jenna and I, I think have spoken about this before but the amount of times where somebody has told me as a photo editor to make an edit where something looks sexy, I just put rain in the background because of what <laughs> Backstreet Boys is doing. That's the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That's incredible. Like it yeah. needs to look wet. Yeah. Everyone's like, what is this? And I send them the Backstreet Boys music video. It's, yeah, and it's like, ugh, man, there's this great piece by my good friend Sasha Geffen for MTV a couple years ago. They just wrote this incredible book about queer history of, of music that I certainly recommend to everybody. They wrote this thing about like the history of, of wet <laughs> in music videos, essentially. And they sort of make an argument that I've always felt to be true, which is that men are rarely wet. And, and when they are wet, it's usually to appeal to young women, but like women have been wet since adopt. Like I think <laughs> of like the first James Bond movie, Dr. No, where like, what's her face? I can't remember. She comes out of the water and like flips her hair back. Like that image is sort of iconic. And it's always women are very, very wet because wetness symbolizes like sexy but men and boys are pretty dry unless they're <laughs> unless they're a boy band or unless they're like George Michael or something and, and then I feel like there's obviously some sort of conversation about queerness to be to be had there but yeah it is yeah. interesting that's absurd it's such a weird thing of like the public disdain for women and things that women like and like particularly boy bands because it is sort of the only thing where the artists are male and they're spoken about with the same disdain that women artists are spoken about and in a way it's not shocking that a lot of these artists sort of have these downward spirals and mm -hmm. didn't always like come out on top because I mean we talked about Nick Carter in our sexual misconduct episode because obviously there's lots of allegations against him and it's just like his career's never been touched because of it compared to other people and it's just so crazy how much power you have from being in a boy band whereas the world is kind of trying to discredit that power at the same time well okay actually i have a good question for you is it's like i feel like now nsync and backstreet boys are like just so famous that i feel like they're not talked about in a bad light whereas like one direction and i think maybe this is it it's like when we're able to look back they're not talked about badly but during the peak of their career like even one direction were you know very criticized yeah it's not just when it happens actively but that's the key i think it's that we're talking about these things now and we haven't been before in the same sort of way i think it's like more of a cultural moment but i hope that like what, what you said proves to be true and then now forevermore when something bad happens people point it out immediately and this isn't sort of a flash in the pan post me too we actually talk about the sort of quiet parts out loud now but i would say like it's interesting because i think there are a lot of ways that you could criticize justin timberlake and he's gotten away with quite a lot even to mm -hmm. the fact that he hasn't had to actually apologize to Janet Jackson until this year because people were so upset about framing Britney Spears, the uh, New York Times yeah. Hulu film. I mean, these guys certainly get away with a lot. And it, it is concerning because I think you you have to be critical of it, but I, I think people try to defend art and artists that they love, even if it's detrimental to somebody else. And that is something that I think is a sort of personal journey that people need to go on. Personally, I find it very easy to cut bad men musicians out of my life because there are so many more where that came from um, and also maybe just listen to more women <laughs> 
<laughs> and, 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 that, and that makes it a little easier. Obviously, that's kind of the tongue-in-cheek sort of cheeky answer. But I don't know. It, it, is, it is concerning because it's like these people are accused of, of, these, of these really heinous things. And yet they also are potentially victims of Lou Pearlman. They're potentially victims of this machine and, and other people who've exploited them themselves. And it becomes a sort of ripple effect, this chain of abuse. It's really so complicated and it's hard to parse through. I really, I don't, I'm still working through whatever answers I can find for myself as a fan. It's so rough, like looking back on the whole Lou Pearlman boy band machine of it all, because number one, they were worked like workhorses, constantly just like having to like practice just choreography practice all those things and like, a freaking airplane hanger and then when Backstreet Boys was successful him starting in sync and like hiding them from Backstreet yeah. Boys because he didn't want them to know but also he was like orchestrating the whole rivalry and that whole thing is just wild to me and at the same time he's just being kind of nefarious it was spoken about in Lance Pass's documentary the boy band con about how he would tell them like oh yeah like we have bi cams and like the tanning rooms you can watch like my one girl group change and like all this sort of stuff and then also the guys from LFO and O-Town and stuff talking about how Lou would essentially just like proposition them I mean that story that Rich told was it on like German radio I think it's Howard Stern I think it's which is weird because it's like that's such a famous radio personality so like Rich from LFO who is no longer with us unfortunately died a couple years back he's telling Howard Stern that Perlman told him like oh I got this like big opportunity for you in Germany but they just want to touch your penis I'll practice with you because I have a degree in psychology or like I minored in psychology or something in college which is just like absolutely absurd and like so fucking disgusting and I know that like at the time this is also so this is early 2000s Howard Stern is still like a shock jock like radio personality but don't you think that someone would have picked up like on this thing that's being like so clearly abusive and well I think that's also like the the 90s 2000s they were wanting everything to be that bumblegum like shiny image and like they didn't want to get into like the murky backside of the stories and like this is what you just said is it's like now we're a lot more conscious of these things and a lot more conscious of bringing those stories to light but back then I think it was really easy to just sweep it under the rug right and it's also I think important to note that it's like a really apolitical time I always think of like boy bands are kind of inherently conservative engines because they're meant to appeal to a wide variety of people and I think that kind of begets like silence of of real issues and and that is inherently conservative in my opinion not saying something feels like a conservative opinion I should say. And with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, this is like right at Y2K. We think the world's going to collapse and 9-11 happens. And all we want is something to like feel good, but also that like, if you're going to do anything, maybe focus more on just like being the like good girl next door and that's enough or, or like the like, you know, hometown hero. And I think like Justin Timberlake as a figurehead really sort of embodied that. The example I always like to use is a sort of iconic image of Britney and Justin at the 2001 American Music Awards where they're wearing the denim matching outfits. Because to me, it's like, that is kind of the pinnacle of like, it's Levi's. I can't think of like a more American brand than like Levi's denim. And it's like these two like themes and they like make you feel good. And then I'm also kind of like, well, no, because there's some shady shit going on behind the scenes. And also they are wearing Levi's, but they have it, they've made it designer and I could never afford that. And there's this sort of like aspirational quality to it. And it's just sort of a weird time politically. I'm glad I was not an adult around then, <laughs> I guess is, is, is what I'm trying to say. And, and at the same time, now that we're watching all these old interviews with like David Letterman being like crew to Paris Hilton in, in the 2000s they're sort of like hindsight's 2020 and we can see that like whatever was sort of inherently conservative was actually really damaging mm-hmm. and sexist and harmful and all of these things and that's when these boy bands were working like I don't think Lou Perlman would have been able to get away with what he did in like even 10 years later like he was really sort of benefiting from the current moment and uh, again lack of like social media I mean someone could have been taking pictures of the cameras in his room nowadays you know it's it's complicated it's so insane insane because like we've mentioned this in other episodes with other things of like so many things had to line up so perfectly and so many things had to happen in such specific small spans of time to work out exactly as they did because I mean everything that was going on with Lou Perlman and that boy band sort of build up was happening like right before tabloid culture and so it was also like his artists sort of made the mainstream once tabloids sort of started existing Mm -hmm. so if anybody's sniffing around it's sort of after the fact and they're not sort of sniffing around Lou they're sniffing around the boys whereas I think that if he had started this and some tabloid like investigative like quote-unquote pop culture investigative journalist found out that some like 
creepy old man in Florida was like collecting teen boys and keeping them in an airplane hangar that yeah. they would be down there like quicker than, than anything it yeah. just sounds but, sus like yeah, saying it. It, yeah it, it, it really does and I often I also wonder like uh this era and I think sometimes like we talk about how teen girls kind of are a lot of the times the backbone of the music industry they spend a lot of money they sort of support the machine when Backstreet Boys and NSYNC blow up this is like right before the music industry essentially collapses and we have like mm-hmm. Napster and illegal downloading and all of this stuff. So I also think people were probably just like, well, this is making a lot of money and this is working right now. So let's keep this going while Metallica's like suing Napster in the background. You know what I mean? Like, I think there was a lot of like, even if it was bad, money makes people cuckoo. It like can make them sort of blind to some of these issues that might seem very like at the forefront. I think it's just like this horrible tornado of all these things that sort of allowed it to happen. But then, you know, the songs bang and... <laughs> You, you gotta remember the songs I don't know well I think it's just also sort of there's always sort of been that blip where the boy bands kind of stop for a little bit and then mm-hmm. solo pop stars sort of come up again and then there's oh we haven't had a boy band in a while because here's the other thing that I feel like a lot of Americans don't realize is like the boy band girl group business plan essentially works better in England because all of those groups are almost all together in like some way at least have reunion shows like do things it seems like they're essentially respected more like the media is still mean about them yeah but they're still able to like have their careers and it's like nobody's making fun of Gary Bartlow for being and take that anymore or what have you yeah um and I mean like Little Mix has been around for well I mean Jesse just quit but I mean before that they were around for like seven years just being super successful in England and like not super successful in America but doing amazing over there and so I think it's just interesting that the boy band resurgence that America tried to sort of follow and like I don't think the success has been the same as like Simon Cowell (laughs) sort of realizing like hey there's a hole in the market right now because all the boy bands are like 40 and thus One Direction came to be and then following that because I mean was JLS before One Direction but they just weren't popular yeah Yeah. they're for it's also interesting because i think like what you said about england is also true about like germany where a lot of boy bands started to get their origin or whatever how that's kind of how they build an audience in germany and then they can break in america that's Mm -hmm. been the case for like new kids on the block backstreet boys nsync etc it's interesting so i'm like it has to be some sort of difference between american culture and like western europe and 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 england uh i wish i like spent time there talking to those fans so i could give you a coherent answer why that is I think it's probably just more of a cultural acceptance of, of boy bands and things that I don't know are a little bit like campy I guess maybe they That's... appreciate camp more than us I think I, but what, what I find so interesting about One Direction is obviously Simon Cowell has had this like successful career like doing every boy band in the world in, in the UK and then of course American Idol is how Americans know of him but One Direction it's so interesting that they worked because a UK boy band had never blown up to that size in Mm -hmm. America we liked our American boy bands which is interesting because Americans also love British accents why did it take so long I don't know and and the fact that they didn't dance and the fact that they came to be on like British reality TV like who's who's watching the X Factor I mean before we found out about the boys of One Direction being adorable then everybody was watching but who was watching that in America prior to One Direction I don't know maybe maybe people were so interesting Simon Cowell what a what a guy or not a guy if you talk to some directioners who who seem to not like him very much well there is like but this this is the thing is it's like one direction didn't even win they came in third place and that sort of gave them the opportunity to not have to sign with simon cowell but they did anyway because at the time it's like simon cowell i mean he still sort of is kind of almighty in england in the music world of just sort of being in control of all that but i was telling jenna earlier that when i found out about one direction i was interning at 17 magazine and i would just play them all the time in my little intern closet trying to get some writer to be like they're good we want to interview them but everybody ignored me all the time um wow and (laughs) and then teen vogue interviewed them and i was so mad because i was like if you guys listen to me that could have been us that could wow she's early Oh, I was like insane. I have photos on my phone of like Liam Payne was like, oh, if you send me a photo of you listening to the album, I'll follow you on Twitter. The amount of times I tweeted Liam Payne selfies <laughs> of myself from like my intern closet at Seventeen Magazine is embarrassing for somebody who's like three years older than every member except for Louis Tomlinson. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I love that. Oh, yeah. I think I think Louie and I are the same age, which I'm always, no, he's a little bit older than me. And I'm like, this this is going to work out somehow. I don't know why. But every 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 time I think about that, I'm like, oh, I guess we could still get married. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> A normal, a normal adult thought to have. The thing about coming in third is also interesting because Americans historically love underdogs. So like mm-hmm. losing is like an attractive thing. So I wonder if that's also part of like why they were able to capture our attention as early as 2011 or whatever. And also boy bands have like a long history of a relationship with going on TV shows like this and losing. Backstreet Boys were on Star Search. Mm-hmm. A lot of K-pop bands, like after they debut, they sort of make a name for themselves doing reality television show in, in South Korea. The other thing with Simon Cowell, and we saw this with Lou Pearlman with his other groups like O-Town and LFO. And one thing that's interesting is like from what I got from the boy band like con documentary was like when O-Town was coming about, like they had already had the court cases with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. So then he was like auditioning for like the next bands and like they knew there was some shady stuff going on. They knew that those bands like got out of their contracts, but still they were so just like, but he can make me famous. He can make me part of this group. And that's what you said about Orlando is it's like they don't have access they don't have the like the Hollywood connections mm-hmm. and so they feel like this is their only in and when we're talking about One Direction it made me it's it's similar in the way that it's like okay well we were we were put together on this show we don't know what to do outside of this we don't have industry experience Simon Kell's offering us a contract why would we turn it down because mm-hmm. if they turn it down there's a good chance like nothing would have ever come from them yeah, you totally. That's that's a great point. I guess I would also say, though, like, I don't know if there's any sort of like record of Simon Cowell doing anything like abusive other than like, it is kind of like, this is their only shot. So they're going to take it with the O-Town stuff. I think it feels really harrowing, especially in that documentary, because it's like they've heard of like abuse allegations and yet they can still continue to pursue this because that's the only way they're going to make a career. And it's also interesting, yeah. like, I remember when uh, Lou Pearlman died in prison in 2016, all the members of like LFO and O-Town, but especially Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were like tweeting like feeling conflicted because it's like this man was horrible but also I have all of this because of him and that's got to be such a like a weird place to be and I don't envy that feeling at all it feels really kind of yucky I feel like with everything that's happening with like the me too era like that's even for fans that's a lot of it because it's like for Backstreet Boys fans like when there's allegations against Nick Carter a lot of them are torn it's like I grew up with that you know that was my whole life like I still have you know memory from this and you can't deny that it made such an impact on culture but at the same time if it turns out like they were not such a great person I think that's you know a lot of what we're dealing with even on the fan level yeah so also the the weird thing about like a boy band coming up like One Direction in like this era of social media of access of all of that like number one it was crazy when America was trying to redo the boy band thing with Big Time Rush by having them have a TV show on Nickelodeon and then they're like oh this boy band from England has a lot of buzz around them they had them open for big time rush but One Direction was actually the sell for that I didn't go to that my sister went to that but literally my sister paid me to stand outside of One Direction's hotel when 
that was happening to like hold her spot so she could try and meet them. And the amount of people that were there beforehand, it was me and like maybe five other people. And then my sister texts me and she goes, okay, their set's over. We're going to come to the hotel. And I thought it'd be like my sister and like five other crazy people. But no, like 70 people rock up to this hotel. And I was like, big time rush is playing right now. Like I didn't know anything about them, but I just was like, they were headlining. This is crazy that like such a huge portion of that audience left to possibly see One Direction enter a hotel. But it also was just this thing where like this boy band shows up, everybody's obsessed with them everybody has all this access but at the same time because they're still a boy band you never really know anything about them because every interview has to talk to five boys Mm -hmm. so you never really know that much and you have to sort of create this idea of who they are yeah I think that now that they're solo artists they've sort of leaned as well some of them have leaned even more into just like the idea of who they are like Harry and Zayn whereas I feel like we know a bit more about like Niall and Liam and like sort of Louis but I don't like Louis also just kind of like he tells you what he wants when he wants but at least you know he's actually talking about himself yeah but I feel like there was always just this idea of who One Direction was and I think because everybody sort of has the base knowledge of the boy band idea being slightly nefarious I feel like their fans assumed the worst because I always see like people like yelling about Simon Cowell or being like oh the boys stopped because of Simon because they were like so in control their management was too in control of them like all these all these assumptions and it's like boy bands are created essentially just to make money as we already like stated and unfortunately teen girls are at the brunt of that because teen girls are who are attracted to boy bands in the long run but because we have all this access to like conspiracy theories and the internet and each other and more people who are going to feed into our thoughts and ideas of these things I feel like they sort of get blown out of proportion and it just seems like nobody's able to enjoy boy bands anymore because they're just like something creepy's going on here but it's just like us being exploited Yeah, I mean, that's, (laughs) there's a lot there. I think maybe at the heart of a lot of what you said is a sort of illusion of access that I think like social media creates. I always explain it as like the phenomenon of like, if you're like Twitter friends with somebody, but you like don't actually know this person. Mm -hmm. You feel this sort of like kinship with them because you're either talking to each other or whatever, but maybe you're not even doing it that frequently, but you'll still, I mean, I'll refer to somebody I've like talked to like twice as my friend just because it's like, whatever, easier to explain. And I think that sort of parasocial relationship exists a lot with boy bands and their families fans especially nowadays because they feel like oh I see them posting all the time I can like tweet at them it feels like I know a little bit more of who they are than maybe in the past where you would just write to the fan club and get sort of a boilerplate generic letter that some boy band members mom wrote and then eventually just some intern you know like the idea that you can be so close to the boy band the object of your affection sort of changes with that technology but it also as you said sort of validates conspiratorial thinking because it'll be like if you want to see something you'll find ways to see it exist and I also think sort of the nature of like easter eggs in music sort of also validates that thinking where you're like I gotta put the pieces together and the pieces are telling me that modest management is fucking over one direction or it's telling me that Louis and Harry are in a relationship whatever you want to see you'll see it because you think you already know them because they're like tweeting and like saying like how are you love xx whatever you know it is interesting so I wonder like what that actually does to our brains because sometimes I'm like I think I know this about this person but I don't I used to do that a lot with like five seconds of summer and I'm like I don't know these boys I need to chill out (laughs) all I know is that they like blink 182 and kissing models who doesn't you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's that's another thing that people don't think about when like us as journalists are fans of a band where it's like we have this idea we talk to them they sort of confirm that idea and then they like us and we're like oh okay now I know everything (laughs) everything about them and I feel like in a a sense it just is worse for our brands when we're like fan journalists because we're like oh we have the inside scoops and now we know everything yeah it's a hard line to you have to like maintain critical cynicism a little bit because Mm -hmm. else or otherwise you're just going to be like crazy you're never going to be able to write anything like good about one direction if you're just thinking about how much you love them unless you could sort of take a step back and it took me I think I probably could have like tried to write this book when One Direction was still in existence and it would be like so bad (laughs) 
Like, I, I think I would just be like too in my fandom. Granted, there's some people who can express their fandom and be great critics. I'm not one of them. I have to take a step back and, and that's okay. Uh, as long as you acknowledge that because I don't know, fangirls can also make the best critics. I think they often do. So I would like to bring it around to K-pop for a little bit. I really like in your book that you point out the fact that like K-pop has been around for like a little while and really Psy was the first one who broke in the American scene in like 2012 and then BTS was formed in 2013 and they don't break in until like around 2017. But I like that you said that like there have been even like girl groups and like female solo artists who were on Billboard charts, but it took a boy band to like properly break America. Like I loved that point. Thank you. Yeah, it is interesting because like K-pop is as old as I am, right? So it's like, it's, it's gonna be 30 next year, essentially, with this like first group, Ciotage and Boys. I'm probably butchering that. Please don't come for me. And they sort of form themselves. They're a hip hop group. They go on TV as, you know, many boy bands kind of break on TV. And for a lot of youth in South Korea, this is the first time seeing any sort of hip hop b-boy dancing, any of that music. Because prior to that, South Korea, I mean, South Korea wasn't even a democracy until the 80s. And then you have music that's supposed to be like patriotic or like kind of benefiting the state. It's really interesting how sort of late it takes for this kind of pop music to break in South Korea and then how quickly it takes over the world. It's like they were really on it. But yeah, I think it was always going to be a boy band because historically American audiences don't support girl groups the same sort of way as they do boy bands. I think a lot of that is actually marketing. I don't think it's teen girls only being interesting in boys, but that is my conspiracy that I will also die on that hill, I guess. But with BTS, it's interesting because there were other other boy bands too that were trying to break in America many of which would come perform at KCON in LA and New York, the sort of annual Korean culture festival that's existed for a couple of years now. But BTS made it a point to also not only like appeal to an American music market, they came here, they performed a lot. They would communicate a little bit in English, but mostly in Korean because, you know, they're not actually trying to cross over like Ricky Martin would have to performing in English to sort of break as a soloist in the 2000s. And I think the big deal is also that they sort of came about when One Direction was already on their hiatus and it was like okay we need something new it was really funny to sort of watch fans sort of transition into k-pop because i have whole lists of like one direction stands that i was following and then like i ignored it for a couple months because you know they went on hiatus and broke my heart and i was like i need i need a break boys uh, and then i went back and everybody was tweeting about bts and they're like found their name in korean and we're like learning korean which is like if loving a boy band is gonna make you bilingual like that is just like i got goosebumps that's like, it's, like the coolest effing thing i've ever heard this is a uh, south korea's secret secret mission to take over the world <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, a whole new alphabet. Like it's yeah. so that's so impressive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I will say Korean is much easier to learn than like Chinese or Japanese. Is it? I, I don't know anything. They about they, they only have their alphabet is really short. I do know also like I have a Weverse account, which is like big hit entertainment, which is the sort of like indie. I say that again with air quotes, even though we're on a podcast company that created BTS because there's sort of like a major label industry in South Korea as well. Um, you'll hear it referred to as the big three which is JYP, YG, and SM Entertainment. And Big Hit is obviously none of those, but now they have a million bajillion dollars because of BTS. Um, but on, on Weverse, they even have almost like a masterclass series you can take that's called like Learn Korean with BTS. And you can literally learn Korean through BTS songs, which is that's just like- That's adorable. I could never picture this world that we live in. I really thought like, if we're gonna get a boy band that isn't anglophonic to like break in America, I for sure thought it was gonna be a Spanish language boy band. Like who had K-pop on their bingo? I mean, I guess like some smart person at like Republic Records did, but like I sure as hell did not. Um, Or like J-pop or something, I don't know. Yeah, so I think one of the more interesting things with K-pop is like, we've seen, like you said, there's like kind of like the evolution of the fangirl that goes alongside the evolution of the boy band. And now with BTS essentially taking over the world, and then also the rise of like the political activist version of the fangirl, which we saw a lot with like One Direction, and especially now with their solo projects, with Harry Styles, Treat People With Kindness, all of that. I think it's interesting how a lot of like Western fans are applying their Western, you know, either feminist or anti-racist values onto someone like BTS and like BTS helped raise a lot of money for like Black Lives Matter and like other philanthropic causes, which is amazing. But at the core, like Korean society is very conservative compared to what we're used to. And so there is a lot of drama behind the scenes. Like right now there's a whole thing about certain K-pop artists who were bullies. And so I guess like there's this dichotomy between like our values and what they grew up with and they're not the same. 
Yeah, it is interesting. I think to be a BTS fan or a K-pop fan in general, if you are from like the UK, Australia, I don't know, America, these sort of like English language countries, there's a little bit of like, it's, it's almost like a political act because what you're saying is I'm curious about the global nature of the world and how that exists outside of my own experience, which I think is very cool. But as you were saying, even though I say it's like a political act, I don't think it's necessarily a progressive one because I don't think that, and, and this is sort of my own thinking of like how music is works that BTS would have said all this stuff about Black Lives Matter if their fans didn't demand that they do something. Yeah. And in the same way, I'm not so sure that like, though I love to believe because I love One Direction, I'm not so sure Harry would run around with a rainbow flag if it wasn't for fans throwing it on stage and sort of demanding he take that action. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it, it all looks so good and progressive, but it's really the fans that are kind of applying that pressure on the industry and on the boy bands themselves. Cause I don't think they would do that because it would be seen as divisive or, or, you know, just like too political or something. So it is interesting because like South Korean society is conservative, but you also have a boy band for the first time ever being like, yeah, we perform black music. And so we need to stand up for black people. There's so much more. God, there's so much. Like, yeah. There's, I, think we're I mean, that's talking... a whole thing to yeah, unpack I think there. We'll... I think people will like start like getting their masters in BTS if they're not already because it's oh, yeah. just like there's so We have a listener so who's doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Yeah, we have yeah. a, yeah. In Germany, she, her name's Laura and she's literally is like studying, she knows everything about BTS. Like she did that thing where like One Direction stopped, she needed to find something else. And she just was like, well, the BTS community looks really welcoming. She had a friend who liked them and she's literally now studying them in university. Well, she's studying fine arts and how yeah. BTS applies that to their, to them, to themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. Also, they're probably like the smartest boy band to ever exist. Like, yeah, apparently RM has like a really insanely high IQ. I believe it. Like when am I, when are you going to talk about like Carl Jung in in conjunction with the boy band it's nuts I'm just like they're so well read intimidatingly smart yeah and also adorable and, and I love them all and I think that's also part of like their success especially with American audiences is that so many of the other k-pop boy bands and girl groups are just given music and they don't really have a say about what the lyrics are what the message is whereas like bts you know they have a bit more autonomy with their songwriting and also the guy who like founded like big hit he was more like i want to make the bulletproof boy scouts they care they have feelings they have emotions you know and so i think that aspect definitely appeals to the american market a lot more yeah and you know historically they'll everyone will always say like boy bands perform like love songs crush songs etc and they do but like bts also talks about mental health and all of these things that are contemporary concerns and, and what young people are interested in which i think is is great it, it would be nice if like the boy band formula as it's been known continues to mutate and change for the better becoming a little bit more smart a little bit more interesting certainly a lot more global which is just it's only good they're the best and i love them the thing that's really interesting about what you're saying before of like you don't personally like think that necessarily like harry or other people would have done these like political things if it wasn't for fans i think the thing that's so interesting about bts is that unlike one direction or Backstreet Boys or other groups, it sort of feels like their boy band personalities are just actually their personalities that they yeah. already had and came into it. Whereas a lot of One Direction fans like qualms with One Direction was like, oh, they were placed into these pre-existing like boy band titles and they had to like fit this mold or whatever. But I think also with BTS, because they sort of already have their personalities and their boy band personalities were formed around that, it feels like you do actually know like what causes they might be interested in and all that sort of thing. Whereas with the One Direction members, it sort of feels like because we don't actually know anything about them, mm -hmm. people have created ideas about who they are and sort of just place them on them and are expecting them to do things. I know you, you know Allison Gross, but she's like mm -hmm. at during our master's, like she was studying Harry fans and how mm -hmm. they just like place this idea onto him of expecting him to take political action. And it's mm -hmm. just so, it's so interesting, like <laughs> reading her dissertation about it because these fans literally were like, yeah, we don't actually, we don't really know what he likes, but we assume he would like this. So we're bringing these flags and expecting him to do something about it. And then they get mad when he doesn't. And and mm -hmm. it's just so interesting because I feel like from the way girls were used for Backstreet Boys to get money and Insane to get money and like their managers not really acknowledging that they were using these girls and then the girls sort of acknowledging that they felt like they were being used. So they're like, okay, well, if we're making them rich, we're going to make them believe in these. So essentially, they it seems the fangirls outsmarted everyone and we're kind of like, well, we're paying for everything. So this is what we want you to believe in. Please and thanks. And then they get mad when they don't. Yeah, it's it's also 
complicated because it's like with with One Direction, like their whole thing was like, we're not going to be like a regular boy band. We're not going to dance. We have tattoos. We're a little bit like edgy. Yet there's still that same desire to apply the same sort of like belief systems onto the boy band, even though they're already sort of coming out of the gate. It's like what Zane says in the One Direction movie. Yeah, I'm in a boy band, but I'm in a cool boy band. So there's supposed to be this sort of like difference. And yet fangirls are always going to kind of behave in a similar way, though, you know, as time goes on, they become a little bit more politically progressive and then invested in extra musical elements of, of the boy band story. It's interesting, but it also makes a lot of sense to me because I think if you're a fan of anything, you want the thing that you're a fan of to align with your own belief system or at least your morals, because it would suck to like really love a boy band and then find out they voted for Trump. Like fucking Brian Luttrell from Backstreet Boys probably actually don't know, but I'm like... No, he's on... He's, he's on... He's um, on Parlor. Yes. He's on Parlor. <laughs> What a disappointment that was. And like, I'm rolling my eyes because it's just like such a stressful (laughs) way to love a boy band among all the other issues. So it it does make a lot of sense to me that like fans would be like, okay, now you do this, please. And it also is nice because the way that fangirls are written about is as if they're just kind of consuming whatever's like thrown in their faces to enjoy. And now they're saying, no, we're going to take a participatory role in our consumption. You are going to align with our belief systems or else I'm not going to be very happy with you. And that works. Yeah, I mean, like, the fact that boy bands were made for teen fangirls, like, really, if the fangirls are demanding this, they should comply. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Then I think the, like, sort of counter-argument for that is, like, okay, but then we're not giving boy bands any autonomy or, yeah, or, like, artistic expression, but it's also, like, they don't, they can write their own songs. Like, we're saying participate in the actual creation of the music, but also, like, when it comes to just being a good person, wear the fucking rainbow flag. Like, it's, it's not that complicated. I think just like always the underlying issue with boy bands is is because they're so contrived it's so hard not to like continue to make things more contrived because sure, you're like yeah. well somebody's are like there's already 50 people with their hands in that pot so let's add some fan hands in there too so that we're getting what we want and so I just feel like if people want to be more in control of like their musical careers and stuff just don't just don't be in a boy band because then you're not expected to listen as much like, like people still want you to take action because fans are allowed online whether you're one direction or ariana grande they're still going to be like why are you not talking about xyz but i feel like when it is a boy band you're already like well nothing about them is really real so why not continue to like perpetuate what i want onto them I think it's not don't be in a boy band, it's being a boy band that forms itself. Cause I think that's probably going to like, oh, I would, if I, when I get to control the world, I think that's like the future that I want. Cause I see, I think Brockhampton is like the coolest thing to ever exist because they're a boy band by virtue of the fact that they've just labeled themselves as one, which is like not something that's ever been deemed cool. And I think that's kind of like you're co-opting the word and, and sort of what it symbolizes, which is really cool. And also their front person is black and queer. That's like, Simon Cowell's never gonna put that together, you know? And like they did, and most of their fans are young women. And that's just so cool. So I feel like there is like the poster child of what you can do if you really want to do boy band stuff. Like it's possible for it to not be as contrived as like the world has made it out to be. Yeah. And I I think like even on just like a foundational level, when we hear boy band, I think everybody thinks three to five white boys. They each adhere to those stereotypes, the sort of heartthrob, bad boy, cute one, et cetera, whatever version of that you like. They dance, they harmonize well. And then with each generation, boy bands kind of challenge that a little bit. Like, of course, One Direction didn't dance. Jonas Brothers played instruments. BTS doesn't even perform in English. So I think even on just like the sort of most foundational basic level, boy bands are, as time goes on, sort of deconstructing those stereotypes. And I think as it continues to go on and like each generation will continue to get its own, we'll see more of that sort of unraveling of the formula or of the structure. And when that happens, it's solely going to be because fangirls are like, we want something that feels a little bit more genuine in the way that it is presented to us. And that's so cool. It really is. I mean, also just because I love The Wanted, I do think it's funny that The Wanted was like literally like formed in a lab, had all that stuff, but then they like (laughs) wrote every single one of their songs and we're always like, three of us have to have guitars on stage so that people know that we wrote these songs. And I just think it's so funny because it feels like not a lot of people were like excited about them, but I was like, this is really exciting because they're doing something different and nobody's acknowledging it. Yeah. And I just think it's weird because I'm like, they were doing, they like had good music. (laughs) They like all had different, like a different set of skills. But I think just One Direction was so big and like The Wanted was older than them and all that sort of stuff. I just don't think it was like the right time for something like that to happen. So the fact that it's sort of like happening more so now is like quite exciting. 
Yeah, and but also the wanted were like sexy. Yeah, like, they, were, they were they were like a, they were like a little like I guess they weren't maybe they were rated R. I don't know. I don't know what the scale. One would Direction be, but... rated R. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Which is like always going to be a little bit limiting with like the boy bands because like a nine year old isn't gonna listen to something sexy unless it's super coded and like subtle or whatever. I feel like we've covered so much. This was honestly such an interesting conversation. I feel like we went so many ways that I'm like so excited we do. for. We can do three more parts of this because <laughs> there's so much to like so many pockets to go into so my question for all of us is after this discussion like do we all agree that boy bands are culturally important to just like the genesis of number one girls coming into themselves and also number two the music industry yeah i think entirely one they like with the music industry they just like make a lot of money so it's like they need they need to exist to support this industry that you know it hasn't really been doing well since backstreet and nsync if i'm going to be totally frank with like streaming and everything and culturally i mean i, I can't think of anything more important than when young women and, and queer youth find something to express themselves and if it's through like an artistic autonomy that's like the most exciting thing in my entire career and everything i care about and boy bands are like i've talked to so many fangirls and they'll kind of describe like the first boy band that they fell in love with as like the first time they found something that they felt was really theirs. And I think that's so important because there are too few avenues for young women to express their artistic appreciation and commune around it and build communities online and concert lines and outside of hotels at like five in the morning or whatever. And that's so beautiful. And I mean, there, there's a reason why these songs continue to play in Ubers and grocery stores and at weddings. You hear them like, I'm never not going to hear I want it that way until I die, probably. And I mean, just by virtue of its ubiquity, I think kind of warrants its significance or its importance oh so beautifully put i have <laughs> nothing else to add <laughs> i concur i support that argument <laughs> thank it. you so i mean with that being said thank you maria for joining us this was like thoroughly such a fun enjoyable and interesting conversation thank you so much and thank you both for getting it so few people seem to get it or they want to talk about it and it's like oh my god i feel like i'm arguing with my dad or something it's we want to yeah fun. we of course want to spread the message and if folks want to follow up and find you afterwards what are your links you can find me on twitter and instagram at, at maria sherm and my book wherever books are sold cool we will absolutely link everything in the description below so you guys can follow maria and check out her book because if you want to learn more about boy bands from what we talked about today you can learn so much more in this book because it's great and it's beautiful oh my god the illustration it is and it's, in illustrated. This book, it's so it's so pretty <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I wanted it to feel a little bit like a teen mag, so it's fun, even if you're reading about like Lou Perman being an asshole. You, I want you to have a good time. Absolutely beautiful illustrations. And last but not least, we are gonna do Band of the Week in 30 seconds or less. Maria, are you ready? No, but I, yeah, I will be, I will be. <laughs> cool, all right. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Take it away in three, two, one. Okay, so I had to, of course, pick a new boy band for Band of the Week. My favorite boy band right now that isn't BTS is ATs. They are on a smaller K-pop company called KQ, uh, but they also are tied to like RCA and whatever. And there are eight members and they're really dark and edgy. My favorite member is Mingi. He has this incredibly rich baritone. When I first heard it, I was like, this guy could be in like a Joy Division cover band. It's like so post-punk and, and cool. Um, right now he's, he's on a mental health break, but like, oh no, okay. <laughs> well, I tried. <laughs> that was brilliant. God, that's 30 seconds is not a lot of time. Do you have a specific song people should check out? Oh yeah, do say my name. And that's the other thing I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke about how like, oh, like I never thought like a post Destiny's Child band could like name a song that and I would care about it, but whatever, it's fine. I play. <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah. Oh god. That was <laughs> that was that was hard. It's uh, yeah, I, we like to give ourselves a challenge just for fun because when we first started doing this, all we would be like is they're good, they're cool. And so we're like we need to get better at journalism. God, I should have written a script or something. In my mind, <laughs> I really don't know how long 30 seconds is. That felt like 5. Well, that was 
such a good conversation. Ugh, I don't know, just so fun and like living, cause like we were both huge One Direction fans. And so like getting to like relive that and then like talk about it in a critical way is just like so entertaining. It's so entertaining. And it's just so interesting hearing other people's perspectives, especially other people who are involved in journalism. So we're sort of doing journalism while it was happening. Cause I feel like it's a whole other perspective, which I love. <laughs> it, it really is. And Maria is like so freaking smart and like has studied this so much much that she brings so many points to the table stuff like maybe you and I hadn't even realized so it was really cool being able to talk to someone who like knows this even more than us yeah because I feel like there are so many really sinister underlying factors of the boy band industry and it's just interesting to hear somebody's perspective on all of it who's like studied this so thoroughly because we just know from like outside perspective like and if you're listening to our podcast I feel like a lot of you guys lived the boy band life too loved One Direction or other other bands growing up and so I feel like this is something that a lot of y'all hopefully will have related to and I just feel like it's important also just for people who were fans of these artists to sort of hear it from this perspective I think because I feel like it's not one that's talked about as often about how all this came to be and what was going on and all that sort of thing I feel like a lot of people speculate on different things but it's just interesting hearing like cold hard facts <laughs> from someone who knows them so if you have any thoughts concerns comments what have you as per usual you can come chat with us on social media we are at name three songs on instagram twitter tiktok what have you if you want to come pay us for our time come hang out on patreon it's patreon.com slash name three songs so we can buy more books and talk to more authors with for you guys yeah and if you have personal grievances my at is sarah underscore fagan and jenna is at jenna underscore million so thank you so much for joining us on name three songs until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to harry styles don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit namethreesongs.com Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.